This is Darren Davis, founder and senior leader of the Harbor Church in South Florida, and you are listening to the Harbor Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and others, visit us online at harborchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Bill Vanderbush. I'm a friend of the Harbor and Darren and Wendy are just dear friends of ours and such an honor for them to uh, just invite me to come and to address you, to be in your homes, your living rooms, wherever you happen to be gathering today. And uh, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and go with me to John chapter 14. I'm going to pick up on a message that I preached when I was here in person uh, recently uh, where I talked about what I said is the most mind-melting verse in the entire Bible, at least it is to me. And it's the part where Jesus says to the disciples in that day, this is verse 20 of John chapter 14, in that day, you will know I am in the father and you are in me and I am in you. Now, unity is a big deal in my heart because I believe it's the key to giving Jesus the answer to the prayer that he prayed in John chapter 17, where he says, father, the glory you've given to me, I give to them that they may be one, just as we are one, I in you, you in me, and I in them perfected in that unity that the world may know that you sent me and love them just as you loved me. So if you see there, the world knowing about Jesus is directly tied to us being perfected in unity. And since unity is not uniformity, uh, we, we don't look alike, we don't act alike, we don't even believe the same things. And that what Jesus brought together in the disciples was a kind of a, a hodgepodge of, of people with different perspectives and views. And of course, the Bible says that he who begins a good work in you, began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it. And isn't it amazing that we want everybody's process to be in its conclusion and its completion around us now so that, of course, we can all think alike and act alike. And that's never been the way it is in the body of Christ. He brings differences together and diversities together, different kinds of gifts, diversities of gifts and graces upon people's lives in order to, to actually demonstrate uh, the reality of, of uh, the kingdom of God. It's kind of like a diamond with multifaceted, uh, uh, you see like uh, as you turn the diamond, you see the shining of it changes, the, the glimmer of it changes, and each facet uh, causes it to shine just a little bit differently. They're all very unique, but they're together. And so in our diversity and uniqueness and our unity, we put this amazing diamond of the gospel in the body of Christ on display. And, uh, and so the grace that God has on your life is really, really unique to who you are. The voice, the sound that you carry is very unique to who you are. And how he moves through you is actually going to be subject to the language you choose to use and, and how you choose to put him on display. He's not going to control that or guide that. Think of it like this. The voice and and the, the sound of heaven filters through the people of God, right? So let's say he speaks a word to you and he speaks a word to me. Now, I may choose to use different language than you would to communicate that exact same word in hopes that somehow uh, the, the spirit of the word carries through, but other people may receive it from you where they may, maybe wouldn't receive it from me because of the language you choose to use. And so it's kind of an important thing that we understand that God will speak through us, but you and I actually get to choose how that is manifest and how that works out. And uh, this is why we keep our hearts pure before the Lord and pliable and peaceful before the Lord and at rest in our reconciled union with God. Because if, let's say we're in a moment where we're filled with anger and rage or whatever, and the word of the Lord comes to us, it's a genuine word, but it begins to run through a filter that's a little bit messed up in the moment. 
So we maybe use different language than we would have used otherwise. And we can actually begin to maybe dilute the spirit of the word. And so people don't receive it in a way that, um, that I think the Lord maybe would have intended. Does that mean he doesn't trust us? No, God trusted the disciples to release and to speak a word uh, that uh, he gave them the power to choose how they were going to use it. And so our words and our speech carry uh, a power, a supernatural power. And that's why I think our, our voice surrendered to the resonance of heaven is really, really important. You can release healing and peace, love, joy, righteousness through your declaration, through the sounds that you make. As a matter of fact, that's what I'm, I'm praying, I'm hoping that we're going to do here today, that you're not just going to receive information from the sounds that I'm making right now, but that you're going to receive a spirit of wisdom and a revelation that the kingdom of God will become more manifest to you than maybe you ever knew that it could be before, and that there are perhaps even more things in this time of communication that are caught than taught. So let me pray over you real quick, and then we're going to get into the scriptures. Father, I pray today that there'd, there'd just be a resonant frequency of heaven that would flow through right now, just the, the, just the gentleness I feel in my heart, the affection of your spirit over every person that's watching this right now. Lord, I pray that they would feel what I, I feel, and that is the love that you have for them. God, may they get a fresh revelation of your love, get a fresh revelation of your embrace. May they feel, literally feel that embrace today from the inside out. And Lord, may a spirit of wisdom and revelation rest upon this study in your word as we just dive into a revelation of what it means to live in unity with you and one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in John fourteen twenty, which is where we're launching off today, there's three parts to it. And I actually didn't get to this in the message that I preached at the harbor. So it's good that I'm getting a chance to do it now. The first part is he says, you will know I am in the Father. Now, Jesus would make statements like this. I and the Father are one. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Their perception of the Father was based upon a concept rooted in tradition over the previous 1,300 years. And what Jesus comes to do is challenge that concept, those concepts of God. He challenges the concepts with the reality. And when our concepts of God become challenged with maybe a better revelation of, of the nature and the character and the heart of God, the, ch the choice is, are we going uh, to put our concepts up on the pedestal and hold on to them? Or are we going to let go of what we have previously known to lay hold of something that we've never, never seen really fully before. And the concepts of God were not as good as the goodness of God that Jesus was putting on display. And so they held on to their tradition and actually killed the son of God to defend their concept. That's an important thing to understand because, uh, Jesus on the cross makes the statement, uh, Father, forgive them. They don't know, know not what they're doing. But he's not appealing to a reluctant father to forgive an unforgivable humanity. Because every time he said um, uh, things like, I only do what I see the father do. I only say what I hear the father say. He was demonstrating the reality of a fullness of surrender to the heart of the father. And really the way that we're all supposed to do life. So when he's on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, he's actually telling us what the Father's really like. That in our darkest moment, the Father's desire is to release grace over us in the middle of our ignorance. Before we even know what to repent of, he wants to release grace over us. Why? Because it's the kindness of God that leads us to change the way we think. We love him 
because he first loved us. So that revelation of his love for us suddenly awakens us to an awareness of how loved we are by him and empowers us from that point on to love others so that our expressions of ministry and love are not just us making up good ideas, but they're actually birthed and born out of the spirit, uh, the one who is by his very nature love manifest within us. I know this is a lot, but uh, it's why we record these things. So you can go back and rewind it. Um, so when he says, I am in the Father, he's telling us that it is everything he's saying and everything he's doing, that is the clearest representation of the nature of what the Father is really like that they had ever had up to that point. Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of the Father's nature. So he is in the Father. And then he says this, and you are in me. Now, you might think, okay, I thought when I received Jesus, I invited him into my heart. Well, it kind of goes both ways. He actually invited you into his. So then you might think, well, it's kind of like, and we're more used to this concept because we come in from the outside as, you know, from our homes, we come into a large crowd of people and we just disappear. So you might feel like when you come to the body of Christ that you're like just a drop in the ocean and now you're just, just a number, you're just another face in the crowd and, uh, and your contribution doesn't necessarily matter. And I think a lot of people def- definitely feel that kind of sense of, of uh, I'm just I'm just here, just assimilating into the the collective crowd, and and then I just disappear. But it's okay. They'll say I need to do that because it's a posture of humility of the heart, and and that, that's beautiful. It's a beautiful posture to take. But that's not where he wants to leave you. So first, he says, I am in the Father. So it is Jesus who defines the nature of what the Father is like. You want to see a clear representation of God? Look at Jesus. Then he says, and you are in me. So he, by his desire, drew us into himself. Now, how did you get into Christ? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 says, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. By his desire, by his doing. So it is, it is his work that actually brought you in. That's amazing because it goes on to tell us that he became in that place of unity on the cross, our reconciled union is manifest in four specific ways. As a matter of fact, be my first question to you today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, what are the four ways that Christ is manifest in and for us? What does he do? What are the four things he does for us? And that'll be a good point of discussion for you today. But let's go ahead and move on. So then he says, and you are in me. But again, it's not like a drop in the ocean where you disappear in this equation because he finishes the equation out by saying, and I am in you. Now, that last part is especially important because it tells you that you actually have purpose and meaning. You were born for more than just to pay bills and die. You were here purposely by the desire of God who created you, not not because he needed to, not because he was lacking in anything. He created you because by his very nature as love, love is expressed in overflow. So your very being is an overflowing expression of love. That's why the creation of, uh, he creates man in his image and likeness, or Adam, mankind. And then from Adam is made woman. Man is made woman. So now you have this man and woman together. What is woman? Is she made because Adam is lacking something? No, Adam is made in the image and likeness of God. And from the very overflow of his being, woman is created. Now, how are children created? 
prayerfully, hopefully, from an overflow of love and union. So it's a, it's a physical reality that demonstrates a spiritual truth, that love is meant to be expressed in overflow. Ministry is not something we do out of duty. It's something we do out of love. And when there's love, an overflow of love as an expression of everything we do for God, the fruit of it is amazing and empowering. There's there's something powerful about love. And of course, I don't need to tell you that. I hope every single one of you have experienced and know the empowering love of Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and fellowship with the Son. So, uh those three aspects of the the nature of this union are super important. He says, I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He is being expressed through us like a river flowing from your innermost being to change the landscape around you, to impact and affect the world around you. So let me give you just a, a simple example Maybe not so simple, but it'll be a, an effective example of what this union looks like from the scriptures. Now, if you look at Revelation chapter 5, one of my favorite portions of scripture, you're going to see in Revelation, and by the way, I've done a 10-hour study on the book of Revelation. I'm only going to do a few minutes today. So for those of you who are students of eschatology and Revelation, you're going to be like, ah, he's leaving a bunch of stuff out. And I know I'm doing it, so hold on tight with me. In Revelation chapter 5, there's an incredible picture that I need to set up for you. John, uh, as as having an experience, he's in the spirit in a purposeful kind of a trance-like state. And he's suddenly caught up into a place where he actually sees Jesus, the glorified, resurrected Christ. And this is Revelation chapter 1. Jesus reveals to him these amazing messages to the churches at the time. And so he, he gives these words to the churches. And then you get to the end of chapter 3 and you come to chapter 4 and 5. And now John is seeing the throne room of God. Now it's not just Jesus coming as a messenger to speak to the body. He invites John into a place of deeper intimacy. And he says, come up here. And John steps through this doorway into this revelation of the kingdom of God, the revelation of the throne room of God. The entirety of chapter four is a picture of the throne room of God. So it's very well established in chapter four that it's God sitting on the throne. And then in chapter five, and this is where I want you to go with me, Revelation chapter five, verse one says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And a strong angel is proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and break the seals. And it goes on to say, no one in heaven and on earth was found worthy. And here's what I want you to see. The picture that John is getting is of God holding a book. And the strange thing about this is he appears that he's unworthy to open it. As a matter of fact, this angel is hollering out throughout all of time and eternity saying, is there anybody worthy to open this book? Now, Revelation is a bit of a play, you could say. Uh, And the reason I mention that is because it's important to understand that in a play, you can take artistic license. You say, I I never thought of Revelation as a play. Okay, so maybe this would be a more comfortable word for you, a parable. Uh, Jesus taught in parables. Matter of fact, the Gospel of Mark says without a parable, he didn't teach. So I'm not sure why we think Revelation is any different. 
And so he's putting a bit of a play on for John, a parable on for John. It's got tremendous spiritual truth and spiritual reality in it. But God is worthy of everything. Why is it that he's appearing to hold a book that he's unworthy to open? Well, the angel goes on to say, is there anybody worthy to open the book? No, nobody's found worthy to open the book. And in Revelation chapter 5, verse 4, John is so disturbed by this picture of Father God sitting on the throne, holding a book, and he appears to have a limitation on his strength. He doesn't look worthy to open this book. Does that make any sense? And John's response is he starts weeping. And I mean, you and I would too. You give your life for this extravagant one who suddenly appears to be weak in some area. That's very strange. And and so an elder standing next to John says, uh, it says one of the elders standing next to him says, stop weeping. So John, I want you to understand here. John is having actually an incorrect response to what he is seeing. And he's standing in the throne room of God. So he's emotionally, he's disconnected from what he's supposed to be connected to. He's filtering it through the expectations of his own perception. In other words, he doesn't understand what's happening. As a matter of fact, throughout the entirety of the book of Revelation, John, there's a lot of times where John doesn't understand what's going on. And they almost have to stop the whole play so an angel can come and talk to John and tell him about what's happening. This is one of those instances where the elder standing next to John says, stop weeping. So it's possible for you and I to actually be in the presence of God, literally in the presence of God, and because we're unaware of what everything means and what's going on, to have an incorrect response to what's happening, even though we're in the presence of God. So don't assume that just because you come to church that everything you feel about everything going on is accurate or true or real. We respond based upon what we know, and all John knows is God is worthy of everything. Well, this remains true. Of course, he's worthy of everything. And of course, he can open the book. But the appearance of God as too unworthy to open this book is really important because what God is wanting to do is actually put something on display that in our day, we've uh, in a lot of places forgotten. The elder goes on to say the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's actually worthy to open the book. And of course, John knows who that is. That's Jesus. So he turns to see a lion and he sees a lamb, which is amazing. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a lot of times in the, in the book of Revelation where Jesus appears as a lamb. Only one time does he appear as a lion. So if you want to walk in the power of the lion, first embrace the gentle heart of the lamb. Jesus shows up and he's actually worthy to open the book. Now, you say, well, what's up with the father? Why is the father not worthy? Well, of course, the father's worthy to open this book. But what he's doing is what any good father does. If he wants to honor and elevate the perspective of his son or the perspective of people toward his son. In other words, it's not just enough to tell somebody how important somebody is. It's, it's got to be shown. It's got to be seen. And so what the father's doing here in holding this book that he appears unworthy to open, but then here comes Jesus and he's worthy to open it is essentially the father saying to the body of Christ, Hey, heads up. I will not be God without my son. In other words, don't ever make the mistake of believing that Jesus is just a man, just a prophet, just a teacher. He is as much God as God can be. And he is every bit as much deity as the father, father, son, spirit. They're united in importance, in honor, in authority. 
And so it's what any father would do. It's almost like to appear to back up a little bit so that the son can take preeminence. And 2000 years later, we need this message now more than ever. How important it is for us to understand that Jesus is more than just a man. He is the answer to every problem we're facing right now in our nation, all the way down to the problem in your home, in your body, in your kids, in your family, in your parents, whatever it's going on, Jesus ultimately is the answer and he is worthy. But then we go on in Revelation chapter five, and this is kind of where I want to land. So that was all extra. Revelation chapter five, verse 10 speaks of all of us, nations, tribes, tongues from all over the world. It says, has made us to be a kingdom and priests unto our God to reign upon the earth. So we're ambassadors of Christ, we're kings and we're priests. We carry a royal identity and a supernatural royal authority. But then he goes on and says in verse 11, says, I heard and I looked and uh, I looked and I heard the voice of, of many angels around the throne, living creatures and elders. And the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, might and honor and glory and blessing. So, all right, here, let's come back to this point of unity. Remember I said, Jesus says, John 14, 20, in that day, you will know I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. I want you to think of this phrase. Just let this kind of roll through your mind dozens of times if it needs to. There's no distance and no separation between you and God right now. Right now, right where you sit. No distance, no separation. So is it possible that everything that is declared from heaven's perspective over Jesus actually also applies to you? Is it possible that everything that is spoken over him could be actually a part of your inheritance, your identity, and your empowered destiny to be lived out here on the earth? I think we have to believe this. Otherwise, we will never know how much authority we carry to reign on the earth as kings and priests. And you say, well, Bill, if I believe that, then that means I would have to believe that I'm sitting on the throne with Jesus. Let's take a look in, in verse 12. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Galatians chapter two and verse 20 says that you got crucified with Christ. He didn't just die for you. He brought you with him onto the cross. So he died as you, buried as you, raised as you, co-crucified, co-buried, co-raised together with him. So when the lamb was slain, you were also slain as well. Now, that's your old man of sin. That's that old sin nature that was done away once and for all. And now you and I have been resurrected to newness of life. To discover who we truly are is a big deal. If you believe you're something you're not, then you will actually manifest what you believe to be true and what you believe will be the experience you have in this life. That's why it's so important for us to align with and believe the truth of who God says we are. So I'm, I'm going to give you maybe some truths about who you are that you might think, I, I can't possibly believe that. Like Bill, you say, I'm in Christ and he's in me. So there's no distance or no separation. But what about what's being said over him? That to you is power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Bill, that belongs to Jesus Christ alone, but doesn't belong to me. Well, were you crucified with him? Yes. 
So to the lamb that was slain, and you say, well, wait, wait, he's sitting on the throne. I know my posture. My posture is actually maybe before the throne, on my face before the throne, uh, with my hands outstretched, worshiping before the throne of God. Maybe, maybe I'm scared to even go in. Maybe I'm outside peeking around the doorway. Or I'm, just, I'm just terrified to go in because I don't know if I'm worthy to be in the throne room of God. Do me a favor and get your Bibles or iPhones or iPads and turn with me to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21. And let me show you something about where you belong in the throne room of God. I want you to keep in the back of your mind, you're crucified with Christ, and there's no distance and separation between you and him. Now look at Revelation 3, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne. So let that sink in for a second. That's where you belong in the throne room of God according to Jesus. And he goes on to even clarify it further. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, if you think that that privilege only belongs to those who overcome, then let me tell you something about you. Revelation goes on to say they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So the blood of the lamb, that's what Jesus did. The word of our testimony is you releasing declaration about what he did. You testifying to what Christ did. It's the power of the gospel. The gospel simply means good news. And news is just reporting what has already happened. That's why in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says in Christ, in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, dwelt in one body. So God was fully present and resident in Christ. Right? And then it goes on to say in verse 10, and in him you have been, past tense, already done. So it's news, right? You have been made complete. So even though we look like we're going through a process of becoming complete, in reality, from heaven's perspective, we are becoming who we have always been. And who are you? You are in Christ. You're in Christ, he's in you. No distance, no separation between you and him. Which means now, even in the throne room, you are, and Paul wrote it like this. I'm not making up new theology here. This is 2,000 years old. Paul wrote it like this in Ephesians. You are, present tense right now, seated in heavenly places with Christ. In the spirit, that is where you belong. And that's where you are. Now, with that revelation of no distance, no separation, and unity in mind, I want you to receive and take everything that is spoken over Jesus here in Revelation chapter 5 as your inheritance right now. So I just want to just claim this blessing over you. This is everything in heaven and on earth is speaking over, over Jesus here. It says, Revelation chapter 5, verse, uh, verse 12, worthy is the lamb that was slain. And you were crucified with him to receive power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing. That is your inheritance. That is the eternal state of your being. And that is your consistent receiver of all of these things. They belong to you. See, if the devil can try to get you to somehow shove away your inheritance, you will never know what you have access to. Therefore, you will never know how empowered you truly can be to impact this world. 
I'm preaching something to you that I actually need because I feel in this day, I'm being drawn back to a revelation of an inheritance that comes from that revelation of unity and union with God. Let's go on. He, it doesn't even stop there. It says in verse 13, every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne, where are you? According to Paul, you're already seated in heavenly places with Christ. According to Jesus, because he overcame, you overcame. Therefore, you're qualified to be in him on the throne. So to him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb, be blessing, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Now, when he says in verse 13, everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, that's everything in the spiritual realm and everything in the physical realm. Let me finish with this. Jesus raises from the dead. And when he raised from the dead, what did he say in Matthew chapter 28? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you go. So with that revelation of authority, it's a universal authority that he has. He suddenly releases us with this mandate. And Jesus says in in John 20, as the father sent me, I send you. What does he have? All authority in heaven and on earth. So for us to discover what we have access to, means we actually get to mature into something that I believe God wants to bring us into. I think he's been wanting to bring us into since, since before the foundation of the world, but looking for a generation who will come to that place of just surrendered union with his heart. Think of it like this. When God creates, he uses words and his words create worlds, but he will not use those words, which is the most powerful force in the whole universe. God will not use that word, the power of that word to break your will, but he will simply use that word to invite you to surrender to his heart, to his voice, to follow his leading. None of this inheritance comes to us apart from surrender to his voice. In other words, we don't operate in any power, any authority, any might, any strength, any honor, any wisdom, apart from surrender to his voice. If we try to take these attributes, these gifts, these graces, and move without the leading of his spirit, we will find ourselves shipwrecked on, a, on, a, on the rocks of our own making, suffering under a self-inflicted weight of condemnation that he doesn't desire for us to live in. His desire ultimately is for you and I to just live surrendered to his voice. But when you live surrendered to his voice, you'll hear that voice, the power of that word, invite you into a lifestyle that, that will transform this world because he will always invite you to invade the impossible. But he reserves those invitations for those who've seen a record of the inheritance. They've read the will and they know what dad intends for us to walk in. And that way, when God says to you, you, you are to disciple that nation, then you suddenly realize that means I'm positioned to steward the wealth of this nation. That means uh, uh, he believes that I have the character to, to, to be able to walk with an influence of an entire nation. And I believe God's stirring that in you right now. I'd like you to, and again, let me just make this a simple point of your own personal study tonight. And that is to look at the inheritance of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. The four things that Jesus Christ becomes to you. 
They're four individual words. And take some time to look up those words in, in the Greek language, the original Greek text, and find out what those words mean. And realize what that means for you when you discover uh, those things have now become your inheritance. And I pray that every limitation is just ripped off of you. That all of the limits that you've placed upon yourself are taken off of you. That every lie and label that you've ever believed because of everything ever spoken over you is completely taken away from you. And you find yourself at rest in your reconciled union with the Father. Seated on the throne in Him. That's where you belong, and that's where we are forevermore. Welcome to this beautiful, this beautiful rest of reconciled union with the Father, and I pray that you're never the same again. Now go give it away to somebody else. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Church Podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard. Please subscribe on the podcast app and be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also download our Harbor Church mobile app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.